you know, when COVID hit, changed the landscape for a lot of reasons, as we all know. And so what I would say is that the comfort level, right, in terms of the technology, the number of professors using this type of distance learning, et cetera, became a lot more pervasive. Hi there, listeners and fellow higher education leaders and transformers. I wanted to thank you for tuning in to the podcast over the last year and listening to all of our episodes. My name is Nicholas Colbert, and I'll be filling in for Karen Kotatala today. We're grateful for your support, and I'm excited for all the conversations with thought leaders, disruptors, and entrepreneurs on this podcast, and feel privileged to learn from these discussions, illuminating myself in the process, albeit slowly. Today, Roger Sands is a co-founder and CEO of YBOT. Roger has 17 years of executive management positions in successful networking startups and Fortune 500 companies. Prior to YBOT, Roger was the business line manager for Hewlett Packard's WWWAN business, growing it from six to number two market share. He joined HP via the acquisition of Columbus Networks, which is a wireless startup where he held a number of executive positions, including co-CEO, and was instrumental in the HP acquisition. Prior to that, he was GM at Acton Technology, founding the enterprise wireless business and building it to the number three market share via six strategic partnerships. He's also held senior management positions at 3Com, USR, and Bitex Corporation. He also previously was a previous guest on our podcast, and I do recommend everybody go back and listen to that podcast because we will be referencing various things from it. We will be discussing the evolving educational campus from a text perspective and YBOT's work with Suffolk University and other colleges. We'll be able to explain some of the issues that come up with why not connect Wi-Fi connectivity networks that are working optimally and we're going to be discussing video conferencing, VR, and smart buildings. So uh, as a kickoff, I, I like to do a little bit of a um, uh, kind of a, just a, a thing to get us moving. So my first question is, back in the day, did you prefer Prodigy or AOL? <laughs> AOL. <laughs> AOL? Oh. Yeah, yeah I have to admit, no. I mean, I just, um, that's what I get you know, involved <laughs> with early on. So yes, AOL was the one that uh, we used. Okay. That back away, yes. So I am, I am a Prodigy alum, so we will, we will go from there. Um, well, listening, um, to your your prior podcast and your prior conversations with with Kieran, there were a couple different things that I I kind of latched onto and wanted to talk to you about, and one of them was the distance hybrid learning and how you feel that's going to be changing. And one of the one one of the things I wanted to bring up was you know distance hybrid learning has been around since the seventies, uh, especially in remote areas. And do you feel like we've actually leveraged any of the knowledge that we have there? Um, my home state of Alaska has been doing this literally from the 70s, you know, with uh, video conferencing and everything else. And I hear a lot of people coming up with ideas and I just don't understand why we're not leveraging that, that thought process. That's a great question. And um, let me say that what we've noticed and what we've witnessed um, obviously, as a result of COVID, is an increase um, in the demand for distance hybrid learning. You made a very good point. There's a number of universities that have effectively used it for quite some time. So um, I'm not implying and not saying that it hasn't been around and been very effective. But clearly, you know, when COVID hit, 
changed the landscape for a lot of reasons, as we all know. And so what I would say is that the comfort level, right, in terms of the technology, the number of professors using this type of distance learning, et cetera, became a lot more pervasive, right? So we had pockets of excellence you mentioned in Alaska, right, where it was being used. And there's a number of universities that have, like I said, led with this for quite some time. But when we were forced, right, literally forced into it across, you know, not only the U.S., but the globe, um, that drove a level of technology and innovation and comfort level, right, around the technology, the tools, the ability to do this. And so what I would say is we're seeing an acceleration of it, something that was already there and working, but now we're seeing acceleration because of that adoption that's taken place over the last couple of years. So we expect it to continue. There'll be a combination. I think we all agree that there's benefits in, in certain situations for you know, on-site learning and, and, and collaboration when you're in lab environments, et cetera, obviously. But having that flexibility now with both the distance hybrid learning as well as the in-person is gonna be, I think, a combination that universities are gonna optimize um, going forward because it provides more flexibility, right? A lot of universities have challenges with housing, right? And so you can see how this can be a model that can be combined. I don't think it'll be all one or all the other, but with the technology evolution, with the maturity and knowledge and experience, we're going to see that it'll be a, a combination that, that universities leverage. Do you feel universities... Um... While, while, the, while the industry is innovating, do you feel like they push back on that innovation? Because one of the things you did speak to was the size of the IT departments, or what I would call the shared services departments of a university. And, and being new to higher education consulting two years now, um, it just doesn't appear like, like they go kicking and screaming. So what we have noticed, and, and I, I think it's a, it's a common theme in the industry, even outside of universities, which is um, different personnel and different universities and in, in, in higher education schools um, adopt technology at a different pace, right? There's the, the, the innovators, the market leaders, you know, that tend to push the envelope in how to optimize. And again, this is beyond higher ed, of course, it's just a theme in the industry. And then there's the folks that are, you know, we, we, they wait for, you know, more comfort, more masses that are using the technology, et cetera. And so what we have seen is that that hybrid, that diversity continues. So we've seen some universities jump on this, as I mentioned, and really adopt it as, again, a component of their e-learning initiatives, right? Where others, yes, they, I wouldn't call it kicking and screaming, but they've been more hesitant, right? They're just not whether it's the faculty or the, or the leaders are just not as comfortable with it, want the in-person learning. And so you'll see an adoption level um, that varies based on the culture and experience of the universities. Do you feel like there's any um, specific profile of, of who's gonna be at the forefront of this kind of, of adoption? Meaning like, and I'm not saying that like Ivy League or a, a small school of 15 to 2000 or a medium school that specializes in medicine. Like, is there somebody who always seems to be a profile of, of, at the cutting edge? 
Well, I'll put it this way. Or early um, adopter. Let's go with early adopter. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to uh, answer it in a slightly different way than probably Nick what you were thinking. Um, because um, I have a daughter that's a PhD student and, and a teacher um, at Unimat, U University of Massachusetts Amherst and and what I've noticed across these universities is no surprise, but the younger generation, right? Um, so the universities that that have this younger generation within their school systems tend to be on average faster adopters. And I think, again, it's a common theme in the industry, but we're seeing that within the university sector as well. So professors um, in my family is, is a lot of them are, are teachers and have come from that background, but the ones that have been in the industry for a longer period of time, obviously are more comfortable with the processes and procedures that they've been using. And often the advanced technology isn't at the forefront of what they're looking. So I'd say not so much a school profile, but those within the schools um, who are the ones pushing and adopting and working with the students um, is what we see as making a difference. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, and I want to go back to what you, you were previously talking about in the other podcast when it came to uh, the Internet of Things, bi-directional data exchanges, and the larger amount of just pure, both, you know, you and Kieran uh, spoke about upstream, downstream. And, uh, you know, I, I laugh because a lot of stuff we do now, um, I learned to do on 300 Bob modems, and now we're doing it for a different reason. We're still doing it, for the, we're still doing it to get the payload down. Um, and, you know, one of the things I, I think you guys kind of glanced around and I was going to ask you about, what do you feel about uh, network neutrality and that, how that would impact that if it were to be implemented or not? Yeah, so you clarified a little bit further because I'm not as close to that particular. Uh, that um, like uh, that the, uh, the Internet can actually take the data streams that are video and put them down one pipe, data is down another pipe. This is down another pipe right now. You know the the ISPs or OSPs can segregate that data accordingly, and I'm assuming you know you know that's one of the things Ybot does is like you know if we're doing too much video, we're doing too much gaming. You know, um, you know back in the day, a company I worked for they, they learned that we were running command and conquer servers at night. <laughs> so uh, so just how that goes, like like one of the things you spoke about was being in the dorms and all these not only different devices but different things going on. You know, do you feel net neutrality would impact that, or do you think that should be something that's implemented? Yeah. So um, you know, this this boils down. Thank you for summarizing that. This boils down to um, different variations of quality of service, right? So let's just step back for a minute. I know we touched on a little bit in the last podcast, but what we're seeing, you know, across uh, the universities is an explosion, as you mentioned, of IoT devices, personal devices, right? Alexas, video. And again, there's services that are being used for e-learning, um, including virtual reality uh, and, and video collaboration, like we talked about hybrid learning. And then there's all the services that the students are doing outside of that, right? On their own time for pleasure, like I said, whether it's YouTubes or personal devices or gaming. Right. So so the amount of traffic, the diversity of applications and the explosion of just what we call IoT, all these different connected devices, that's going to continue across the universities. I mean, I think we all agree with that. And so back to your question, yes, you know, what's really important now to have e-learning, 
hybrid learning, uh, when you get into video services, quality of service is paramount, which is what you're touching on another variation of how we get there. So what we call end-to-end -end quality of service from the client device, right, all the way to the cloud and back. And that includes the ISP services that we discussed last time where you need bi-directional performance now that's not what a lot of customers were used to, right? Because again, as I mentioned, the downstream traffic coming from the internet is where most of the traffic was historically, but now that we're dealing with video and invoice services and real-time collaboration, it's bi-directional. So we have to optimize and make sure that we have true bi-directional performance and we need quality of service end to end. What you mentioned of streaming, you know, video services down different pipes or, you know, voice or video collaboration, et cetera, is another way to get there, right? Is to ensure that we have end to end quality of service from the client to the cloud and back. So can it add value and will it add value? Absolutely. Okay. But what's fundamental for IT organizations within these complex universities is to ensure, right, that there's end to end quality of service through every endpoint within the network. Do you consider uh, the privacy considerations around IoT to be involved in quality of service, or do you can consider that to be a mutually exclusive uh, aspect of it? No, the privacy is very important, right? If you think of privacy and security, um, they're intertwined, as you can imagine, um, and that's very important. And when you're dealing with privacy and security, quality of service does play into it, right? Because you're talking about transferring the same information from these IoT devices to the, again, I use the cloud in a generic sense, but we're talking mm -hmm. about client to cloud. That's where mostly communication's going and back. Um, and so there is a combination intertwined set that goes into play there. Okay. Now you, your Ybot works with uh, establishing and maintaining the Wi-Fi networks within the university ecosystem. And we're just going to, I'm just going to keep everything within the university ecosystem. Sure. Conversation. Um, do you have any uh, issues, concerns with the move to 5G and a lot of people pushing back on that due to, due to the, the nature of 5G versus 4G and, and the proximity and, and a lot of the other concerns that that uh, you could say the conspiracy theorists are throwing out there? Is that a, a thing you think about or? Yeah, great question. So let me just summarize again um, for where Wybot is today, right? Today we monitor, analyze and optimize Wi-Fi environments, right? Wi-Fi ecosystems for customers. What, what historically, right? In, in the mm -hmm. higher education university sector has been what we call a manual reactive right process so when you have students and professors and staff members having wi-fi performance connectivity issues right they open tickets they go into it it works on those tickets right so we call that a, a reactive process even with all the advanced management platforms out there and and switches and data centers and controllers it still tends to be a, a manual reactive process why is focused on automation, automation, right? So taking something that's manual, reactive, and turning that into automated and proactive, automated proactive, because IT, it's, it just can't keep up with this dynamic nature, right? It's midnight in a dorm room, okay? Mm -hmm. Midnight in a dorm room, and you have some students gaming, 
You have some, you know, doing collaboration, video collaboration with their friends across the country, others doing e-learning, right? All this is happening and a user gets disconnected from the network right in the middle of a session, right? And so they open a ticket, IT gets that in the morning, now they have to resolve it. So as you can understand, that's a very complicated model um, and the universities are getting more and more advanced with the technologies like we talked about. So why bought? We focus on that. We monitor, analyze, and optimize these infrastructures. Okay, now you touched on 5G, 4G, 5G. Today, we are focused on Wi-Fi because that's the biggest pain point um, where we add tremendous ROI for our universities. But 4G, 5G, right, cellular technologies is expanding, right? And it's a valuable complement, right, to vertical segmentations, including universities. And so we see it as complementary technology. Um, if you look at Wi-Fi, given it's the last mile, the last segment of the network, and it's pervasive and cost-effective and, and in-building, right? Where, as we know, 4G, 5G can have a lot of challenges. Within universities, we work with a lot of them, and that's what they actually will comment on is getting the cellular into some of these buildings because their old structures, et cetera, can be a challenge. So what we see to answer your question at YBOT is complementary technologies. It's gonna be use cases and value for 4G, 5G in higher ed and other verticals, as well as Wi-Fi will continue to be in our mind, the core on-ramp right within these infrastructures for high performance connectivity. Do you guys our, ever look at um, the, the power line? Oh, I'm sorry. Do you, do you guys ever look at uh, power line broadband uh, solutions with it? Since you said older buildings, I, I, it's a very old, it's a old technology that was considered by PPNL, Pacific Power and Light, years ago. I'm not, I, I haven't kept up with it, but I just, I do know it's around. And I just wondered if, due to the nature of these buildings, if that was something that people do in higher ed. Right. So what we, the benefit that we have there, Nick, you asked if we look at it at YBOT, our platform is able to do both wired and Wi-Fi end user quality metrics, end okay. user quality metrics. So independent of that connectivity that you're talking about, right? Um, building to building, cross campuses, we have a whole suite of end user automated end user performance metrics that we can run with our platform. So again, it can be a campus environment, it can be private networks, can be Wi-Fi networks to us, um, it doesn't matter. And as I was starting to say, our whole architecture is wireless agnostic. So as emerging technologies come into play, we have the ability to expand you know, with radio technologies and incorporate those into our platform. Okay. So, um... Taking that into to where do you see the future of connectivity on campus going? Yeah. So in building, again, there's a big difference here, right? So mm -hmm. in building, we see we see Wi-Fi as the primary. Again, this isn't exclusive, but if you're talking about the majority, we see Wi-Fi. The advances, right, with six gigahertz, right? Mm -hmm. Six gigahertz in terms of cell capacity, in terms of bandwidth. Right now, when we get to six gigahertz. Right, we're going to be able to leverage 40, 80, 160, you know, bandwidth, right, as opposed to 20 megahertz bandwidth, right? We'll be able to expand that to give us a lot more capacity without having interference. 
Okay, so in building high performance, right, virtual reality type technology coming into play more and more in universities, right, for, mm-hmm. for uh, e-learning, et cetera. So with six gigahertz coming around the performance, the security enhancements that continue to come, the ability to have that technology and all the IoT devices, at least for the foreseeable future, we see the primary connectivity to be Wi-Fi. Now, as you talk about universities, of course, you're talking about not only in-building, but you're typically talking about campus infrastructures. Mm -hmm. And that includes sports stadiums, right? And outdoor venues and and quads, right? There's a campus involves a lot of different aspects. And so what's gonna be more important is having student and teacher and staff connectivity, right? Across that entire infrastructure because sharing information right in real time is what we're going after here. So the universities that lead that will have a technology advantage. So as you migrate outside the buildings and you're talking these larger campuses, that's where we see 4G, 5G becoming more prevalent. It already is in a lot of universities, but becoming sort of the core connectivity and you'll have these devices, obviously that that leverage both. Okay, Um, now your AI, does it look at like the, the programming itself of the, of the networks and, and get, could you walk me through that part of it? Because I, I think there's two, I've always said there's two, there's two things when it comes to programming, either you learn the code or you learn the hardware. <laughs> and, you, and you do the other one when you need to. <laughs> right, so our AI today, it's, a, it's an excellent question. We get this a lot. Our AI technology is able to do the, the you know, we monitor, we analyze the environment, we run it to our AI engine to proactively identify what those performance issues are. And once we identify what the performance issues are, whatever that may be, connectivity, interference, roaming, power save, you know, all the challenges that come up with a high performance Wi-Fi network, we proactively identify the issues and with our AI engine, we provide actionable solutions actionable solutions. Now, today, we don't take actionable items on the network. And the primary reason for that is most IT, especially complex high-end environments like universities, they want to schedule changes on the network, right? It's controlled environment. They don't want changes to take place in real time, right? So the beauty of YBOT is we're able to provide that context. We say exactly what happened at midnight in the dorm room, Here's the solution to solving it. So it's all they have to do is look at the dashboard, the YBOT dashboard, and the output of that will tell them exactly what actions to take. And then they can schedule those based on their maintenance profile, right? Depending on the severity and their maintenance profile, whether it's, you know, in the mornings after all the students have gone to bed, you know, whatever that time frame is, um, if it's not a critical issue, but they want to take corrective action, it could be during, you know, um, a weekend or, or a holiday break. So that's the approach we take today. Are you able to handle um, a hybrid or a multi-cloud distributed IT structure as well? Yeah, yes, we can manage multi-vendor within the campus. And yeah, we're we're cloud agnostic in the sense that when we set up our end user quality checks, we can go to different environments, right? So 
yeah, IT organizations for their business critical applications. That's what we're looking for, right? Is what is the business critical applications? Those typically get configured within our solution. And now the YBOT solution is automatically going to test the quality of the user experience leveraging those applications. They may go to different clouds, different environments. As long as it's a valid you know, URL connection, we're able to, uh, to give you those metrics. Okay. Um, and, and, where, and, and since I, I don't think any podcast would be worth its salt that didn't ask about blockchain uh, <laughs> right now, um, where are you in the, the trust architecture? Uh, you know, because everybody's going to, to that kind of level of uh, looking at distributed ledgers like blockchains, you know, to, to reduce the risk of breaches or comply with security regulations or, you know, reduce capital expenditure, et cetera. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Um, where are you guys with that? Yeah. So today, the good news is we don't have to dig deep into blockchain where we are today from our architecture point of view. Um, and the reason for that is uh, we don't send any customer payload data to our cloud application, right? So okay. if you look at where blockchain is typically being used in terms of financial transactions, personal information, et cetera, et cetera, all very important. Our whole architecture avoids sending, we don't need to send any of that personal information, financial information to the cloud, right? So today we run an AWS where our cloud application's running. We run that over secure certificate-based communication, but again, zero payload data, financial data, payload data, you know, we're HIPAA compliant, GDRP compliant because we're not sending that information to the cloud. Okay. All right. Uh, the last thing I was going to talk to you about is, um, and this kind of goes back to the bi-directional bi thing of, of, that, of that conversation, is the virtual and augmented, augmented reality support. Could you walk me through that and, and where you see that pushing the needs for Wi-Fi, or would it be, again, something you could actually bring into the, into the school? Yeah, no, the virtual reality, the augmented reality, from our point of view, we see this as an area that's going to continue to grow and expand across universities. A lot of reasons for it. Let's start with the learning piece of it, right? Just mm -hmm. the ability, right? Let's say, you know, you wanted to take a field trip to Paris, right? And learn the history of Paris or, you know, et cetera, right? I mean, being able to do all that and get the live experience is incredible, right? Right. Without having to travel. Um, but there's a lot of use cases in the medical space, et cetera, where, leveraging that technology is going to become more and more important. And we're seeing that grow. So we see a, from a, a learning perspective, a driver, a need, and that'll continue as we move into, obviously, you know, the personal space for the students that are on campus, uh, for those universities that have, you know, uh, uh, housing on board and campuses where students stay over. Now you're talking about gaming, right? All kinds of gaming and, and you got the metaverse, right? That's coming and expanding, right? So when you look at the metaverse for the, for the students, and then you look at the e-learning initiatives, I just use that term generically, but learning with digital technology, both of those areas are expanding, okay? And so that's gonna drive an increase of VR, AR, et cetera, in those two environments. And as we increase those services and those applications, yes, it's gonna drive more bandwidth, more requirements, more complexities, right? Across 
the end-to-end, -end, again, we're talking client-to-cloud uh, communication. This is where YBUT excels, right? Because we're taking the complexity and automating it for the IT organizations. Okay. Um, okay. So, so walk me through what's going on at Suffolk University. Yeah, so great uh, customer of ours, use case. Uh, they, you know, they have just an example of IoT explosion. So Suffolk had thermostats, right, in dorm rooms uh, that were Wi-Fi enabled, right? So we call this the green initiative, right? We're seeing a lots of technology, solar panels, smart plugs, right, thermostats, uh, HVAC systems. I mean, we could go on and on, all for good reason, right? Again, green initiative, saving energy optimizing mobile connectivity for programming this stuff up. And they have uh, thermostats in the dorm rooms, leveraging Wi-Fi for connectivity. Now, what happened is they were having a connectivity issue with a thermostat. Now, the challenge with it, it just randomly loses connectivity. This could be once a week, once a month, right? This isn't every minute when it's connecting. It's just you know, typical of a Wi-Fi challenge, right? It's random, it's intermittent, it's dynamic, and it would just lose connectivity, which as you can imagine, you're talking a heating cooling system. I mean, that's uh, very important, right? For the, uh, for, the, for the dorm rooms. And so they were working on this for a period of time, having challenges trying to solve this particular issue, you know, having sending people on site, right? Which obviously when you're talking dorm rooms or any on-site visits can be a challenge, right? I mean, disruptive, <laughs> time-consuming, COVID made it worse, of course. Um, and so they found out about YBOT, put our solution in the dorm room. We captured it right away, identified what was happening, provided them the metrics and analytics to solve that issue very quickly. And that's the whole premise of YBOT is we're reducing mean time to resolution from you know, hours, days, and weeks. Yes, weeks in a lot of situations, unfortunately, depending on the nature of the problem, creating business con continuity issues, we're taking that down to minutes, right? Because of our automation and AI technology. Uh, can you share what, what, what was the issue? Yeah, it was an interoperability issue, right? I don't want to mention vendors. Oh yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't have to mention, I just was wondering. Yeah, no, but there was an interoperability issue. This is not unusual with, with the explosion of IoT, all using different technology, different drivers. You, you know, you've been there, right? So <laughs> there was an interoperability issue between, you know, the the IoT device and the you know network infrastructure. And okay. when there's an interoperability issue, then you get these type of, of performance issues. Okay. Well no, that, that's fair enough. I mean those are those are back to the days of modem strings. Yeah. And yet yeah. I think Nick what's important because you mentioned security earlier, you mentioned IoT, a couple of core themes within it's you know expanding within higher education. You know, a lot of the IoT devices, right? They don't have expertise, meaning real true expertise in what we call Wi-Fi communications, right? Mm -hmm. They have core expertise in their area of knowledge, right? Which could be sensor technology, door locks, security cameras, and they're the best in class at that. And they'll take typically off the shelf, right? Wi-Fi chipsets and software and modules and, and integrate it in. Right, and, they, and the system all works. The challenge with that, as you know, is that the dynamic nature of the Wi-Fi, the standards keep evolving, right? Power save and roaming and different vendors and all this creates what we call this inter interoperability 
chaotic situation. And we're not talking about downtime every minute. No, these networks run well, but once a week, once every other week, once a month, teacher loses connectivity when they're doing a Zoom call, right? That is very disruptive, impactful to the business into the e-learning experience. So the benefit of having the automation around that is now it's gonna monitor and analyze all of these IoT devices, neighbors, hotspots, printers, and look, look 24 by seven, look for these type of interoperability, connectivity performance issues and proactively identify them for IT. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I, I'm amazed that uh, my son is 11 and, and he's dyslexic. So we use a lot of assistive technologies and I'm, and I'm looking at it and what, what we were talking about just a minute ago, you know, we, if there's no internet, if there's no net connectivity, half, I'd say 70% of the apps he uses doesn't work. Right, um, right. And, and, yeah. and I, I, I know you're, you're spot on. And, and, you know, the term we use is, I mean, I think the industry is using it, not just why, but that Wi-Fi or, the, you know, internet connectivity is a utility. It's a utility. Right. There's so much now running on this all the way from, you know, if we just for a moment step out of higher ed, but in healthcare, you know, you're talking patient monitoring systems, right? So there's so much that's, that's good, that's dependent on this, that yes, internet, Wi-Fi, if it drops for even minutes, hours, um, has a major impact on user experience. Yeah, when I, uh, I previously mentioned, I worked at Prodigy uh, Communications Corporation, which was started by IBM. And we, we had several sessions where people would just kind of laugh and say, what's going to happen when we have ubiquitous connectivity to the internet? And uh, I, I laugh because it's like, gosh, I've been part of both conversations. And now I see it as like, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie, uh, the Mitchell's movie, where the Wi-Fi goes down. <laughs> I started laughing so hard. Um, but it is, 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 is we've generations that have been online their whole life and wouldn't, would yes. not know what to do without it. Correct. Um, Correct. so, so utility, their lives, their, their learning, everything they're doing, information content, right. Um, it's all based off of, um, the internet. And in most cases, Wi-Fi is the on-ramp to the internet. So we need to ensure that that runs like a utility, like electricity and water and heating, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's where Wybot steps up and helps mm -hmm. customers. So, so other than Wybot itself, what, where do you, or what, do you, what would you want to see other the university do other than install Wybot <laughs> um, that would help them in this situation of moving and ensuring both the network connectivity, but they are trying to future-proof themselves as much as possible. What do you think is the best? the best thing they could do. Yeah. So um, the best is, is a plan. And I know that, you know, that's pretty straightforward, but when I say a plan, what I, when I talk to universities, we have to step back for a minute and identify a model. It's not perfect, but a model of what it's going to look like in three to five years, right? What's the university going to look like? And what I mean that is by that is how many connected devices are we thinking about here? right? Because it's really exploding. So connected devices, what type of applications, you mentioned it already, Nick, around, you know, AR, VR, right? Virtual reality, are, are they focused on, you know, telelearning, right? Where hybrid learning, where they're going to have portions of the students off campus, uh, if it's not part of their program already, right? So way, the way we look at it is you got to have a plan, you got to have a model, 
So you got to step back, say, okay, five years from now, three to four to five years from now, 10 is a little ambitious as we know, but in the next three to five years, number of connected devices, average bandwidth per student, what type of applications are going to be running and what the growth rate is on that? Because you have to start with a model. Mm -hmm. You start with a model of what that's going to look like, not only for the internet performance, but across your whole campus, right? Stadiums, <clears throat> another complex area. What type of services are you going to be looking to offer in your stadiums, right? Um, for 70,000 simultaneous connections. <laughs> right, right. And so once you have that model and you map it out, that's going to give you a baseline of, wow, here's what we need to do in terms of scaling the infrastructure, scaling the number of con connections simultaneous, like you mentioned, what type of quality service and bandwidth requirements are needed across the university? Because what you need in a dorm room, right? Or student housing could be very different than a classroom. And you say the dorm room could be worse, right? Because of all the different devices students are bringing in. So the modeling around number of connected devices, business critical applications, quality of service, security, of course, wraps around all that, map that out. Now you'll have an idea of where you need to go and, and then a map to get there. Yeah, no, no, I, I would agree. I was just thinking a couple of things. One is every student right now, like today is a minimum of two devices. Yes. Phone and the laptop, possibly three with the tablet, possibly four with the tablet and the phone. Um, one of the challenges we have is uh, not only do we have all of that, but we have multiple ID management systems, you know, and, and you have people, you know, they throw out the word single sign on, you know, and, and access to everything, not realizing all these systems run different authentication and have to run different authentication. And to give that, that uh, user, that on-demand ubiquitously connected service model, we have to log into six different things. <laughs> <laughs> and pull right. it all back. And so, so that one login from that one device is 17 calls going through your Wi-Fi, which is a lot of traffic. And that's, that's the situation today, not, not what's coming right. out. Yeah. And we see a lot of universities where it's, it's, it's beyond two, it's three to four devices per, because you have smartwatches, you have gaming devices in the dorm mm -hmm. rooms, right? Alexas. I mean, all this stuff's coming in. So it's, uh, it's incredible. And it's going to keep expanding because you have the student devices that you're talking about and all the authentication has to go around that, okay, for security and policy management, et cetera. And then you have the IoT for, like I said, building automation, security, door locks and everything. And then you have the just the e-learning initiatives, right, where professors and, and staff members are leveraging technology um, on a you know, daily basis. The, the last thing is the thing they're actually there for. Yes. 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 Um, well, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about or? No, we can I reminisce about it. the beginning of the internet and 300 baud modems. 300 baud modems. I was, um, as you mentioned, I was um, uh, a GM, uh, business line manager at US Robotics, and we were the first vendors to have 56K modems. So um, I, 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 to, uh, to, uh, Q6 on your modem string to make a USR connect. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've gone to using, because uh, you know, passwords require all the special characters and everything. I'm just using modem strings now. <laughs> Nobody even knows what those are anymore. So <laughs> no, no, exactly. I can use them all day. 
Um, yeah. No, I would I would summarize by saying, look, it's an exciting environment. Um, the schools and universities are able to take advantage of the technology to help them be more efficient, more productive, um, scalability services. So it's an exciting time for us. But I think you brought up a very good point without some modeling and planning and understanding where this is going, there's going to be challenges. Um, and it could be portions of the network, portions of the campus. But, um, you know, there's a lot of companies, Wybot and others, that are helping that transformation to this next generation of technology. Yeah, I, th I think without a roadmap, you're going to get, you're going to be given a timeline and may not have the time. Right. Yes. So. yes. All right. Well, again, a pleasure to speak with you, Roger. Um, and hopefully we can talk again. Thanks. Pleasure to be on. Everything is a service. Whether it's finding ways to help students reach their goals within higher education, sharing medical records to patients quickly and securely, informing residential customers of an impending outage, or communicating with remote satellites thousands of miles apart. All of it requires data, integration, and communication. At End2End, we provide services that make all of these possibilities realities. And we make it faster, simpler, secure, and easier. Because we believe everything is a service, and bringing everything together is how we can help you innovate and change the world.